0: Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors.
1: Hello, uh, my name is Charles Ree, and I'm Cowan's healthcare technology analyst and welcome to the Cowan a Future Health podcast. Today's podcast is part of our new monthly series that continues Cowan's efforts to bring together thought leaders, innovators, and investors to discuss how the convergence of healthcare, technology, and consumerism is changing the way we look at health, healthcare, and the healthcare system. And today I'm honored to have Eddie Martucci, co-founder and CEO of Achilles Interactive, a leading digital therapeutics company creating prescription treatments for people living with cognitive disorders that are delivered through immersive action video game experiences. Achille has received recognition from numerous entities, including the number one health company in Entrepreneur Magazine's 100 Brilliant Companies of 2016 Award and the CNS Summit Innovation Award, among others. Eddie is a founding board member of the Digital Therapeutics Alliance and frequently serves on discussion panels for industry and academic events related to the digital therapeutics industry and healthcare innovation. Prior to starting Achille in 2011, Eddie helped uh, Pure PureTech Health's uh, digital health initiative and co-founded two other health-focused startups. He completed his graduate work at Yale University in the departments of pharmacology and molecular biophysics and biochemistry, where he received both his master's and PhD. Eddie, thanks uh, for joining today. Thanks, Charles. Happy to be here. Yeah, great. So, uh, you know, so to start, can you walk us through the background of Achilles? Uh, Because I think there's a pretty neat story there on uh, on the development and the underlying science.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to. I love to tell the origin story. Um, So we we were looking, I, I was part of PureTech, and we were looking at new ways to impact the CNS field. So brain conditions, neuro, neurology, psychiatry. Um, and this was, at this point, nearly 10 years ago. And so it's right around the time where two things were happening. Um, the Essentially, the, the traditional medicine world, the pharmaceutical world in CNS was pulling out of neuroscience, right? Uh, they were shuttering divisions and making statements that they're probably not gonna go after um, psychiatry and, and behavioral health anymore in an in a innovative way. And we were seeing this technology explosion of, you know, smartphones and smart devices um, that were being used for everything beyond communication, including the first early entrance in healthcare. Um, And so what captured myself and my founding team, um, what captured our imagination was the idea that could you combine these two, this gap in CNS treatment? And this just explosion and growth, and how devices are uh, digital devices are coming into our lives, and potentially have a brand new mode of treatment. And as we started looking out in the world, um, we found that the uh, the neuroscience of engagement and the neuroscience of sensory stimulus, I think, had gotten to the point where it finally came of age. And we started um, started talking with dozens and dozens of neuroscientists and academia and small companies. Um, To to understand the technologies that could be out there that could be amazing. And I got just enamored of the fact that if we did this right and got the right technology, we could code in a treatment that could be the first to directly impact neural circuits or cognitive circuits through digital means. um, And could actually be amazing and immersive and beautiful because you could leverage the best of technology. So um, so that's how the idea happened before we even had a technology. And then it turns out by chance in Boston, I met uh, Dr. Adam Ghazali, who was, uh, at the time, he, he still is, he's the founding um, director of the Neuroscience Imaging Center at UCSF. Uh, now he's extremely well-known uh, thought leader in the field. At that time, he was kind of embarking middle of his career. Um, and it turns out he had been approaching our problem from the exact opposite vantage point We're starting at neurology first principles how can you use sensory stimulus in more engaging ways to to activate the brain and uh, we hit it off turns out he had already had um, a concept forming in his head of maybe thinking about how this could be commercial and that was exactly what we were looking for so after looking at dozens of technologies it turned out this technology from UCSF was the most powerful we thought it could be quote-unquote, prescription grade, and and that really kicked off our whole path.
1: And, and if I'm not mistaken, right, I think, uh, Dr. Ghazali, that he was maybe starting from uh, from Parkinson's, right? Uh, making, uh, kind of helping... Aging, really aging, aging generally. Yeah, not generally, Parkinson's right. per
0: se, but just, you're right. He was starting at the older end of the age range. Um, his research had been in how uh, what What cognitive networks are essentially deficient as you start to go through an unhealthy aging process in yeah. early stages of of cognitive impairments, um, but it turns out that those those deficits those functional deficits that appear are actually very consistent across ages and across diseases
1: yeah so, so that was where I was going to kind of go to like what, you know what made you choose in the end uh, pediatric ADHD as sort of the starting point then
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's, multi-component Two two strongest components the first is the science so we actually invested in the earliest days to do a number of different small proof of concept trials with the first technology we built off of this or rather first product prototype we built off of this technology because the technology is really an algorithm technology um, and and we had done a few different uh, types of sponsored research and tests in a few patient populations. The beauty of digital therapeutics is, you know, there's, you know, you cut out the first five years of, you know, cell work and animal work, right? And you can go right to humans. So we had done some proof of concept human studies and the cognitive benefits that were showing up, and you can see this in Dr. Ghazali's Nature paper and, and others that we've published since, were in sustained attention, selective attention, Um, minimizing gaps in attention, speed of processing. So basically, it overlapped perfectly with the core cognitive deficits in ADHD. The second was really a market um, dynamic, which is this is a population that is extremely high need, which is to say the vast majority of families are looking for new options. They're not satisfied with the current options. And in our quest to really redefine cognitive medicine, um, it's hard to find a better population than ADHD that everyone understands and has a relation to. So. Those kind of market and science factors is what drove us to start there. At, I guess to your point, to the opposite end of the age spectrum than the than the technology originated from.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And and, and to your point, right? I mean, I I was looking up some statistics here, and it looks like you know CDC is estimating roughly six million kids uh, through the age of seventeen are are di- currently diagnosed with ADHD. Obviously, a big area. And, and to your point, you know, families, you know, have obviously you know challenges in in managing. You know their children through and helping them um, with it. Given that you know, oftentimes these kids also have additional uh, mental or you know other behavioral disorders. Uh, you know, maybe Eddie, start uh, continue here to walk us through what is the current standard of care for kids with ADHD today?
0: Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the The short answer, the one word answer, is it's long. <laughs> so the process, the journey of families who have children with ADHD, and quite frankly, for adults as well. Um, is really long and circuitous. So what tends to happen, and this is the most amazing stat that continues to wow me in this space, is families tend to have a journey of between 18 and 24 months from the time they first know there's really an issue. And it tends to show up either at home or usually at school. So a teacher and the parents have together identified, all right, there's really something we need to do and focus on here. 18 to 24 months from that point till they're in a doctor's office and finally getting a treatment um, that, that can help them. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, there's stigma. There's a, an aversion to thinking about uh, medication as first line for your child. Um, there's there's um, uh, guilt and, and denial and other things that relate to stigma on the part of the parents. Um, and there's unfortunately still this part of society that brushes aside conditions like this and says, oh, it's no big deal, it's just kids. Um, and so all of that leads to this really long upfront journey. Um, once a, and I think that's quite frankly an area that needs attention and innovation. And and I believe that with approachable digital treatments, we can actually address that and and draw people into talking with their doctor potentially even earlier. Um, once a child is getting uh, is with a doctor, has a diagnosis, and is considering a treatment, there's really two main options today. There's medication. Uh, and medication does very well for um, for about half of ADHD families. Um, it's focused much more on uh, the behavioral manifestations of ADHD. So uh, what people tend to notice immediately is, you know, the the hyperactivity, the behavioral disorder piece of ADHD is pretty well controlled by medication. Or there's behavioral therapy, you know, finding a therapist and working through behavioral o- occupational therapy. And, um, and then the journey from that first treatment course tends to be a, a, a long and repeated journey where you know they're coming back every month or two looking for either a new medication or a new dose or a new therapist, um, and it takes a long time for families to land on something that works for them. About half of families drop out of treatment a few months after they start, totally, and one of the theories there is that um, the treatments today are not addressing some of the core issues, um, and that's where we think we can play.
1: You, you know, and, and I want to touch on that in a second, right? I mean, uh, so Endeavor Rx, right? Uh, your your lead product here was recently approved by the FDA for treatment of children with ADHD. And you know, it, you know, you brought up the point here that maybe fifty percent of kids respond to medication, but in a sense, it seems like what medication is really doing is just treating the symptoms. Which is sort of the outward expression, right? The the hyperactivity, uh, whereas you know Endeavor RX, it sounds like you know your 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 thesis here, right? Is that it's actually changing something different? Maybe to walk us through what's different with Endeavor RX and what it's doing, hopefully for children versus um, medication, and then com- combining that with therapy. Let's say,
0: sure. And the and the first thing to be aware of of our product Endeavor RX, and I'd say this for the digital therapeutics landscape generally is. Um, I think these products can be new pillars, they don't have to be an either or. Um, So we have data that Endeavor RX has the same types of benefits with or uh, rather alone or on top of medication and it's really meant to be part of a um, a, a total treatment uh, program that a doctor decides to use this on top of other things. So this is a a really good example of an orthogonal mechanism to your point that now just amplifies the number of choices that a, a physician has. So the way our product works, um, very different than medication, which is essentially saturating certain um, uh, neuroreceptor um, uh, receptors rather uh, in the brain, dopamine, norepinephrine, et cetera, um, we, uh, we actually target the functional cognitive networks. So what our technology does is um, based on uh, based on sensory and motor stimulus, it's activating the midline prefrontal cortex specifically. And so we have four different um, uh, peer-reviewed publications in medical journals and, and a fifth that's that's going to be coming soon with, that we've shown in children and adults. We can activate midline prefrontal cortex specifically, so there's a specificity to this, and we increase uh, efficiency between prefrontal cortex and and posterior parietal regions of sensory processing. Uh, Very different mechanism, can be complementary to medication. In terms of the outcomes that people would expect, it's the easiest to look at our label. So our FDA label is indicated to specifically treat attention function in children with ADHD. Um, And to your point, a lot of times the reason that families are showing up for medication um, is more for the behavioral and hyperactive control um, because it's become emergent. And our product um, has some effects there, but actually is indicated that it may not improve some of those issues. So what we're doing is really focusing on something that hasn't been as directly targeted in ADHD. And quite frankly, for a good segment of the ADHD population has languished because it's not as disruptive as some of the symptoms of ADHD. Um, The way cognitive issues manifest is children just fall behind. They have a harder time with work. They have a harder time making friends and social, but they're not significantly disruptive. So um, we think it's a really important new add to the treatment paradigm where we're gonna help children who are on medication and then um, for a big chunk of this market that is really struggling to find any effective therapy, we can uh, potentially be a help there.
1: When you talk about targeting, really, the cognitive function, I mean, is, it, is the idea that it's the plasticity of a child's brain, particularly children, I guess, that, you know, you can build neural, stre- strengthen neurons and uh, the co- connectivity, you know, around areas that were maybe previously deficient? Is that sort of the idea here?
0: That's exactly the idea, yeah. We have a beautiful um, publication in um, PLOS One from a couple of years ago from the lab of, uh, I believe, Dr. Elisa Marco at UCSF. And um, what it shows is that uh, a typical ADHD brain, um, when it's processing a stimulus that it's supposed to pay attention to, um, has general low-level activation to everything, but not specific heightened activation to um, what the child is supposed to or wants to pay attention to, which is to say... Um, the child is lacking top-down control, Uh, the ability to say, I want to pay attention to this, even if I don't like it, Um, I have to pay attention to this. What we see after a month of treatment um, in in multiple publications now is um, that front part of the brain that in typically developing children lights up to allow them to decide how and where to apply their attention. Um, now lights up within a few hundred milliseconds after a stimulus. So, um, so yes, it's it's really allowing the brain to process information in a different way, in a more concerted and controlled way, um, without having to dampen, um, you know, or, or target the rest of the brain or, or other things about the children. So what we like to say is we're we're trying to give it power, and this is more you know marketing than <laughs> than scientific, um, but we want to empower families. And empower the child without necessarily dampening the quirks of of who they are. Um, we we want to give power and allow them to have a stronger ability to to pay attention and to really remediate those cognitive issues.
1: Yeah, that's is, that's exciting. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and we didn't mention it before, right? I mean, you're you're delivering this uh, therapeutic through what? you know, from the front end looks like a, like a video game experience, right? And, you know, I'm sure sometimes people will look at it and say, well, you know, couldn't my child play, you know, something on the Nintendo or something and get something similar, you know, maybe quickly just, you know, talk about sort of what, what is happening in the experience that is uh, creating the therapeutic uh, effect.
0: Yeah, our, it's a great question. And, and you're right, that still happens sometimes. People, you know, you'll get a minority of people who say, even if it's FDA approved, I don't understand, you know, is this just any video game? Um, and the, the truth is this is a patented technology um, that had been worked on for over a decade at UCSF and it's the patents are to deploy a very specific order and adaptivity of stimulus um, that challenges the brain where it's weakest. So we are constantly um, giving you stimulus to the patient and the algorithms assess how the patient's doing and adapt it second by second and adapted to to where the patient is weakest. And so we've spent years building those algorithms. Um, It's very different than any other uh, consumer game where consumer games are actually doing the opposite, right? Consumer games are giving you choice so that you can have fun doing what you like to do best and what you're best at. Um, Ours is a very different experience. So it's not built to be a consumer video game. Um, It's fun but it's also very hard work. It can be exhausting. It can take, um, it can take serious effort and, and needs a commitment from families and the child. Um, and, uh, but what we've shown over time is that those engagement after a month, we see these neurological changes that correlate with outcomes. Engagement after two months, which is data um, that we just made public at the uh, child and adolescent psychiatry uh, meeting back in October, um after two months, 70% of families are clinical responders in day-to-day life benefits. So um so this is very different than playing the average video game, although some of the interactions and some of the art uh, will remind children of some of the games they play. And
1: we do that purposefully. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I might have to get my kids trying it uh, at some point. <laughs> uh, you know, so product's been approved. Um, you know, maybe talk us through how, how the launch is going and sort of what the strategy there is sure yeah yeah. our
0: strategy we're we're really happy with so far we've had a ton of interest our strategy right now is not to maximize volume Um, we have decided to invest in the end-to-end distribution of our products i've been pretty vocal about this Um, while we have while we have pharmaceutical partnerships outside the us uh, in the us uh, we decided long ago that we want to own and and be able to iterate this model because what we deliver, which is the first video game based treatment, but on top of that, a care program of digital applications for parents, this is new, right? No one's gotten a prescription for a video game before. There's, it's an activation code. It goes right on your phone. Uh, and we want to own every aspect of that. So our strategy in the early days is actually to maximize the experience. And so right now we're, we're kind of in earlier access or managing availability where we're keeping numbers small. And we're highly iterating our system. So our entire teams, our, uh, our entire groups of teams that touch commercial and distribution and patient service are uh, essentially looking to learn, adapt, and iterate the model because we're building it fresh. Um, we anticipate um, uh, going up into, into scale and broader availability in 2021. Um, so far, the you know, I'm really pleased. And I think it shows the need that that is out there in the marketplace. We have about over at this point, over 30,000 families that have um, kind of reached out, signed up their information to a general interest list to be uh, notified when there's wide availability. So um, I think there's a a hungry and, and uh, needy market that we can hit. And we're really excited to get to that point. But I think one of the obligations of digital therapeutics companies is to get all the patient interactions right in the early days because it's not as streamlined as we have in in you know pharmaceuticals, which have essentially been ironed out over the last few decades.
1: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So you know, as we as we look to maybe next year uh, when you get this iteration all set up, what what do you think the the model looks like? Is it more like drugs in the sense or typical you know pharmaceuticals where uh, there's a sales force that's detailing physicians? Or do you envision it, given sort of the general interest that you're already getting, you know, coming into you, uh, a, a direct-to-consumer type of model? How, how do you envision that uh, in the future?
0: Yeah, I think it's both. I think it has components of uh, of patient pull and, and provider awareness. Um, to your point, there's already you know, we haven't spent a dollar in marketing and there's tons of organic interest already. So the community is talking, both the provider and patient community are talking about this because they're always searching for options in ADHD. Um, but uh, our model is to have both. So we, we add, you know, we are a medicine, we're a prescription medicine. Um, contrary to what some people think about digital therapeutics, at least at achilles we don't we 're not looking to disintermediate the physician we 're looking to actually directly engage the physician with novel technology many times physicians have been cut out of the loop. We want to do the opposite. We want to really allow this to be a new tool that a physician can use. so we absolutely will have um and and already do have some physician education work Um, we can do this remotely through webinars we have um, discussions and calls with physicians the difference here is i think we have the potential with digital to be far more efficient than the typical pharmaceutical model the first is um, we want to meet physicians and patients where they are and be highly virtual and highly remote and actually, what we hear more and more in the pandemic has helped us. Uh, everyone wants to be more remote and virtual, and that's our bread and butter. Uh, and the second is our product is so novel and stands out so much, and the data are so clear to physicians that this is not a five or ten sales call cycle where you know you're trying to compete in a in a, in a dispersed and, and diluted marketplace. Um, this is real. This is the only prescription treatment to target attention or cognitive functioning. Um, and so docs really early on, once they're aware, they know exactly how to use this with their patients. Um, and so we're really focused on the awareness, um, but there's a there's a big patient um, component to this because they're just already out there searching.
1: You know, maybe switching gears a little bit up, a PAIR coverage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I'd imagine right now, you know, PAIRs obviously cover current treatment for ADHD, um, you know. Right now, I, I you know maybe you can help fill us in just the current size on the on the pharmaceutical spend uh, in the U.S. on ADHD medications. You know what, what you know maybe start there and then you know what how have those discussions with payers been? Uh, uh, maybe you know gauge their current uh, sure. um, interest in, in covering endeavor.
0: Sure. Yeah, no, the, uh, the, the spend on the medication side is um, the ADHD pharmaceutical marketplace is around a $10 billion uh, marketplace right now. Um, it's harder to get those numbers on behavioral therapy, but it's estimated to be in the billions as well, um, behavioral therapy for children more generally. Um, we do think that payer coverage and insurance is really important for the broadest access and the, really what we'd call the top end of our business model, meaning at scale, you know, as you mentioned, there are 6 million children with ADHD, at least a good chunk of those children, we know we can uh, have a good potential to help. Um, And so there's a there's a need to get to scale. Also, um, you have about 30% or more of this marketplace would qualify in the Medicaid um, paradigm. And so there's, uh, so there's state and other coverages for lower income families. Um, So yes, insurance, both both government and private, is very important um, for for this, for ADHD, but also um, we think for the industry, for all of our products and for the industry, it's really important to me and to the companies that are paving the way here that when something goes through FDA, has a prescription, has a clinical impact in patients, it shouldn't matter the form factor. It should be covered by insurance. So, um, so far we 're having great conversations obviously we 're just through the FDA process, and early prescriptions are coming in um, so it 's not covered yet. Um, but we anticipate that based on our conversations there 's a couple different ways to go um, there 's pharmacy benefits there 's medical benefits, and it looks like payers are split, um, but flexibility is a good thing so i would I would anticipate that both pharmacy and medical benefits you 'll see some uptake here um, in the future um, and you know the important thing is. Um, if I think if we're doing the right, um, doing the right thing on staying, uh, responsible on cost, you know, and not doing the new technology thing of trying to charge thousands and thousands of dollars just because it's new, but fitting into the cost that, um, that patients and payers are used to paying, I see no reason why this shouldn't be covered. Um, and that's definitely a focal area for us in 2021.
1: Yeah. And, and, and. Uh, especially I think when you when you just Mm -hmm. mentioned right a a third of kids probably are qualifying under Medicaid you know maybe talk about the government payer side of it uh, a little bit more because it seems like you know obviously states are struggling uh, with everything pandemic etc but so even at the first glance someone might say well do do states really want to add an extra cost here but really I mean you can think about total cost of care and discussion could probably help
0: Oh, absolutely, I think that's the case. One thing we're learning from the pandemic is, um, and and I believe most people are reporting this, we are going to incur, I believe this strongly, we're going to incur down the road massive costs based on loss of services, loss of treatment, under treatment of mental health and behavioral health, right? These are, you know, if you even take our markets of children with ADHD, usually getting through both their physician, but also at school, a whole realm of supportive services um, that they're not getting right now, or at least it's greatly diminished. So, you know, whereas in adults, you're seeing um, really scary numbers of, of things like depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, um, I think you're going to see parallels in the pediatric markets as well with um, the ramifications of of loss of treatment. So um, I do believe there's tailwinds there. I believe states and, and the broader government are actually looking for ways to um, to make sure they're getting good, accessible cost-effective treatments to patients as quickly as possible. So I think that's going to help. Um, there, the, the issue with Medicaid, is, as you're aware, is without broad policy, it can be state by state, which just takes time. Um, we and a number of digital therapeutics companies are uh, supporting a few different legislative efforts that look to categorize digital therapeutics within CMS so that there's um, better ability for uh, Medicare and Medicaid to um, to be able to pay for and categorize these treatments, and so that's something I also hope to have some traction on in 21.
1: That's great, and and, and you kind of you kind of touched on it, and maybe maybe this is a good segue then, right? If we we think beyond just pediatric ADHD, right? Uh, obviously, clearly, right now um, a lot of uh, mental uh, conditions and cognitive issues that are probably not being adequately treated more broadly in the general population. You know, m- maybe talk about you know where Achilles. Uh, can help in those regards. Um, kind of ties into, you know, how the technology can be applied more broadly. Uh, and maybe let me touch on the pipeline maybe then as, as a result.
0: Yeah, sure. Our, I mean, our approach, it's interesting. We're using the current medical system, which is, you know, diagnostic classification codes um, to to fit in here. But the basis of our technology and our product approach is is in some ways independent of diseases. Um, so our technologies are not designed for ADHD or depression or, or autoimmune disorders, it's, they're designed for cognitive impairments. And what turns out is um, that independent of the maybe neurochemistry or neurochemical impairments that are unique to these different conditions, the functional cognitive impairments are very, very similar. And so we've spent the last eight years investing in clinical research across a number of these areas. We have, we've looked at cognitive impairments in depression, cognitive impairments in multiple sclerosis, um, impairments uh, resulting from injuries like traumatic brain injury. What a lot of people don't realize is that the, um, the specific cognitive impairments are extremely similar to what you see in ADHD. They're attention related. The, the highest prevalence complaints of a multiple sclerosis patient after successful um, uh, immunomodulatory treatment is actually can't sustain attention to do my work. And so half of people don't return back to their full work status, even a year or two after treatment. Um, we're even now seeing reports from uh, from COVID uh, sufferers, people that have had COVID that it's been in the New York Times and Washington uh, Post called COVID fog. Uh, and the number one complaint there is attention and concentration. So um, the resulting functional impairment that millions and millions of patients across these diseases experience um, is actually similar in nature. And because our treatments work at that functional neurological level, uh, we believe we have the ability to help many of them. We've seen positive data from randomized controlled studies already in in depression and in multiple sclerosis, looking at those cognitive issues. So um, we, we have plans and it is very much in our mandated mission and every one of our Achilles, our employees are excited by the potential of not only really delivering big time for the adhd market who's in need um, but starting to tell that broader story and help people across these different areas and the the similarity across these different areas is um, they all the patients themselves are recognizing that the medical system may or may not um, but patients themselves are finally starting to become empowered and talk about their brain health, and so we see that as a trend that um, that we and other companies will hopefully fit into and be able to deliver on
1: yeah and and you know what 's exciting to me about all this really is you know we're we 're looking at it seems like finally something where you know software itself acts really on the physiology and and I think that's and that and that differs right uh if we think about a lot of digital health today which is really kind of delivering you know sort of analog therapies like known therapies but is delivered through you know software um maybe expand on this a little bit more because I, I think this is a really big a uh, unique distinction that you know should be made here
0: yeah thanks and and we've um we've obviously been one of the loud companies talking about the fact that we love the we love the part of the digital health industry that is taking you know, human-based therapy approaches and putting into an app or um, or teaching patients strategies, right, through an app that can help them cope in daily life. Those are massively powerful and I, I think they're much needed in healthcare. Um, we think it's only half the story. So what gets us excited and certainly how our treatments work is by being based in mechanistic biology, in our case, mechanistic neurophysiology, um, so that the, when you're using the treatment, you're actually directly and rationally targeting physiology. You can hear in my verbiage, my uh, my biochemical background coming out, right? It's rational design and rational mechanistic targeting. But um but I think this is a it's been the lower percentage of of kind of companies in this space who have been applying these approaches because quite frankly they're hard. They take more scientific uh data up front. They're more likely to miss in the early days of of scientific discovery um than, you know, known human approaches, Um, but I think they really just open up the imagination of what could be possible. I I truly believe what we do with our sensory and motor stimulus is just one of a very broad spectrum of examples where through motor or sensory or immersion or even audio, there's some uh, companies doing music and audio stimulus now, you can be tapping into physiology in ways that we never really imagined it five or 10 years ago or even today. Um, so my hope is we're going to see actually flourishing two categories of digital therapeutics. We're going to see really good app-based approaches for delivering behavioral therapy, and we're going to see a whole spectrum of really unique ways to target physiology directly through the software itself. And I think both can and should be successful alongside today's medicine.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, as we kind of close out here, just circling back to to the start, right? You know, 10 years ago almost, uh, you're looking around and, and you saw there, this convergence where uh, pharma was getting out of, uh, you know, the neurology, um, but technology was exploding and you saw this opportunity. Where is biopharma then today? Uh, as you see all of this is developed, do you see them looking back and saying, hey, look, you know, maybe we exited because from the, uh, the chemical side? Or on the biological side, there was limited options or limited uh, opportunities. It looked like in terms of research and development. But now, uh, digital offers a whole new uh, venue. Do you see more activity there? I, I know you uh, obviously you have the partnership in Japan uh, shows you there are forward-thinking pharma companies out there. Um, but maybe more broadly in the space, and and is that important for the development of this space as well?
0: Um, I think it can be important. And certainly we've, we've played both sides of the, the coin there. We've said, you know, I, I, I think it can be important. I think partnership with the pharmaceutical industry provides a potential lever and expertise that depending on the market, and most importantly, depending on the company and their approach, can be valuable and a value add. So our partnership with Shinogi Um, I'm, I'm really proud of the partnership that we've done and I'm, I'm, I believe they're great partners because they are transforming the business all the way at the top. Um, so they had, you know, their mid-year meeting this past year, uh, Shinogi highlighted that they are transitioning from being a pharmaceutical company to a healthcare delivery company. And part of that's going to be medicines, pills, part of that's going to be digital and part of that's going to be services. Um, that's the type of commitment that I think is a massive lever because you take, the expertise and the in-country girth, if you will, and and force that uh, Shinogi has in Japan, Um, but it's evolving and and we can be part of that evolution. Um, But on the flip side, I think um, if it's partnering just for partner's sake, because it feels like pharmaceutical companies have scale, but there's not really the commitment to actually innovate the commercial model, I think we're left with, I think we're left kind of, with a lot to be desired, because this field is going to take innovation and business model experimentation. Um, so am I seeing pharmaceutical companies and, and others start to embrace this? Yes, in certain instances. Uh, others are still you know, playing uh, a little bit here and there. You might've heard me say this before, but um, you know, I think we, we're evolving hopefully from digital therapeutics being the toy and the happy meal, you know, that's kind of like, oh, a cool fun add-on to actually being an asset. And those companies that invest in the asset, um, I think are going to, to see big returns, but I don't think it's necessary for the digital therapeutics industry to thrive. Um, the, the example I like to use a lot is, um, uh, you know, think of Amazon in the early days and think of Amazon not as, not as any one company, but representing an industry. Um, and imagine if we said, well, gee, how are Barnes and Nobles and Borders gonna you know, help Amazon really create a business here? Um, and obviously, the truth was that Amazon made a business in in books and continued to innovate there and did partnerships and had a much broader transformative business model for society. I think that's the potential for digital therapeutics. And so, I'm cautious of deals that you know are are quick, easy money when they're not backed by commercial vision. But I I think we're going to get to the point where you're going to see medications and digital therapeutics. Intermingling, you're going to see certain pharmaceutical companies really embrace innovative technology as as a core strategy, and I think that's great for patients.
1: Yeah, um, maybe just to close out here, you, you touched on multiple sclerosis, uh, depression. Yeah, you know, maybe just touch a little bit more on the pipeline. Uh, maybe which of the programs are kind of furthest along? What are you what are you kind of most excited about right now?
0: Sure. Yeah, and we're excited about everything. That's the problem. We we have we we've invested. It's it's a blessing and a curse that we invested in our early life to do lots of clinical research across different populations, and and now have a lot to choose from. Um, we we haven't made any public statements around the exact products that are that we're promoting up to to get on path for later stage development. But uh, the way we're thinking about it today is um, there are two big groups of populations that we want to go after. The first is uh, chronic disease, uh, cr- sorry, chron- people with chronic cognitive impairments that are adults. So we definitely want to move into the adult market in chronic, which means ADHD, where we can leverage our work that's already happening, but also beyond to some of these areas like like uh, mood disorders, where people are having chronic um, chronic impairments and need a chronic treatment paradigm. And the other area we're very excited about is um, the incidence population of, of um, injuries or insults to cognitive function. This is an area that honestly has received even less attention than the chronic diseases and disorders like ADHD. So people coming out of hospital care, ICU surgeries, oncology treatment, um, there's a wide swath of populations that are coming from a, an acute injury, if you will, um, and experiencing on average two standard deviations below the norm or where they used to be cognitively. It's a big, big deal and it's not addressed at all today. Um, and so that's an area that you will probably see Achilles playing in, in some specific ways over the next 18 months.
1: And clearly a uh, COVID fog, right? Now we got to add that to the list.
0: Yeah, it's it's been amazing, sad, but I'm glad, unlike some other areas like uh, chemotherapy where it took decades to finally recognize it, um, people are already recognizing that um, this pandemic and this specific virus are really um, playing havoc with people's cognitive functions. So yeah, that's a, that's a big, important area for the future.
1: All right. Well, so Eddie, if uh, people want to know more uh, about Endeavor RX, wh- where can where, where can they look to to get that information?
0: Sure. Yeah, there's a product site um, that's www.endeavorrx.com, um, and that's where you can see everything about how the product works, um, the science behind it, you know, early patient testimonials, and, and all of that, um, which hopefully gives a good snapshot of uh, of this new product in action.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, uh, Eddie, thanks so much for joining us today and uh, really always great to, to talk with you.
0: Thanks, Charles. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah. And, and thanks, everyone, for, for listening today and uh, stay tuned, uh, obviously, with uh, Cowan uh, for, uh, for future uh, podcasts. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us.
0: Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.